Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to successfully start a digital business in the era of tech platforms. My guest, Gennaro Covano, is the founder of 4-Hour MBA. He's a business developer and strategist with extensive experience in corporate finance. His blog is a leading source of insights on business model strategy and business model innovation. Before 2015, he worked as a financial analyst for a real estate investment company in San Francisco. He's a contributor at HackerNoon.com, the startup and entrepreneur media. Well, cool. Once again, man, thanks for coming on uh, Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. We're really excited about having you today. As I was just kind of talking about before the podcast interview started, just some of the cool stuff. You have such a crazy background. I, we're not going to be able to go over everything in an hour's time, but I think you're one of those crazy entrepreneurs that it's like, you know, we're going to kind of go through that timeline of being an attorney and your whole process and the things that you've done. But anyways, let's kind of start a little foundation here. So where did you grow up at? First of all, thank you for having me. And, you know, it's, it's really a pleasure to tell a bit of my story because especially we're going to talk about the blog, like for Week MBA, where I do a, a lot of research on business and business modeling and business strategy, but pretty much I don't get the chance to tell my story. So I'm glad that, that there is the chance today. And I come from a very small town in the southern Italy. It's uh, not that small. I mean, like 25,000 people. So it's uh, southern Italy. It's like more in the region of uh, Campania, which is where the Amalfi coast and, you know, Naples, you know, all the, we have many beautiful things there. But in terms of professional opportunity, really, the, um, I moved uh, in Rome, like when I was like 19. So very much I lived uh, my old teenage life in southern Italy. And, you know, that's also my name actually tells the story for people from Italy. They know that this is a name typical from southern Italy. Actually, there are no people uh, outside their region which are have my name. Yeah. So if you're Italian, you know that uh, where I'm coming from pretty much. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. You got a very unique name to a certain region. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the Campania region. It's uh, uh, Naples pretty much, all the uh, Naples uh, area. You know, it's uh, one of the, the most common names, but outside there, it's not much unless you go like to New York where we have many uh, Italian-American <laughs> people where probably you're going to find this name. But yeah. otherwise... They are. Actually, it was fun because a few, a few weeks ago, I was interviewing the vice president of blockchain at IBM. And the funny thing is now he's a, an American Italian, but he changed his name, like his name is like Jerry, but in reality, his real name is like Gennaro. So it's my same name. This was the first time that I found like someone American who has my, my same name. So it was interesting. Nice, nice, nice. Good old blockchain, boy. I tell you, that's boy. That's something, that's something else. Yeah, good, good conversation there. So how big was your family growing up? Pretty much, I, I grew up really, in, um, again, in these uh, small towns since I was like uh, 18. And I mean, there are many interesting things about where I come from. I mean, there are many uh, beautiful places, but I'm very passionate about history. So from uh, some, like one interesting thing, of course, uh, where I'm coming from, it's more like on the historical side uh, where there was, uh, before the Romans, there were like the Etruscans, which were like the people that actually were the foundation for the Roman Empire, yeah. when one of those people that were the foundation for the Roman Empire. So the very important settlement of uh, those, those people was like in my region. And it was also a very important settlement uh, during the, the Roman time. So for me, which I'm very passionate about history, I think it's uh, one of the most interesting stuff. And then of course, like more on a daily basis, I think there are many interesting people. Uh, if you go in Southern Italy, we are usually very different from Northern, Northern Italy. So it, it depends how you look at things, but 
you know, we are more like usually friendly. These, these stereotypes, and sometimes stereotypes uh, get it right. And uh, usually we are like more friendly, more like open and stuff like that. So very interesting places. It's funny. So I'm in Northern California and I hear a lot of the times in Southern California that people don't seem to be as friendly as they are in Northern California. Now, of course, all the people that listen to the podcast in Southern California are probably going to unsubscribe after this, you know, but really it's something I've always heard because in Northern California, I say hi to everybody. Like if I'm walking down the street, you catch eye contact with me, I'm saying hi to you, whether you're uncomfortable or not, because I'm just a very friendly type person. And I, I like to, you know, just say hi to people. I think it's, you know, if you smile at somebody, it can change somebody's day. So I enjoy that kind of stuff. Like I'm definitely on the friendlier side, maybe potentially too friendly because I think I probably freak people out I'm like hey what's going on they're like I don't know you do I know you and I'm like yeah you don't have to know me to like for me to smile and say hi to you right like there's just it's just a good gesture I'm trying to start your day off right right I'm trying to get you going in that direction so tell us is there any interesting facts about um, the area that you grew up I mean you know, like any interesting facts anything that know that you know, most people wouldn't know about maybe in regards to your family or something I mean we've had in the past we've had one of our one of the, the people that I interviewed was like yeah I was a stripper illegal in Canada at age 16 now I'm not saying you were a stripper I'm not I'm not alluding to the fact that maybe you were doing that but I mean is there anything interesting anything a fun fact that you're like oh most people don't know this about me or my family and it it doesn't have to be anything too crazy but if it is we're we're welcoming that as well well I mean uh, really the interesting thing is that I really did a regular life like nothing nothing crazy like about me like about my my family really probably the most interesting thing is really that I didn't expect at all to work for instance at least uh, like on my side to work in the digital marketing space for instance the funny fact is when I used to live for instance in San Diego a few years back in California and uh, when I was there I didn't have idea of uh, this world. So I really got into it when I was leaving uh, California. So it was funny because, you know, when you're in California, you're thinking, okay, you might get familiar with this kind of, you know, digital marketing space. When you're there instead, I was getting familiar when I was getting out. So they're, they're probably <laughs> the, 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 the most interesting stuff. As for the rest, I mean, really, probably more like from a professional standpoint, I, I lead uh, so many different lives. So probably that's uh, most interesting. But I, I cannot say I was a stripper or I went to jail or stuff like that. Yeah, so. <laughs> there's still time. There's still time to go to jail. There's there's, there's always opportunity out there. You can go. It's a really good experience. Yeah, man. yeah. I mean, you can add it to your resume. I mean, why not? Or maybe not. But either way, you know, either way, there's still time. So, and where, and you were obviously talking about San Diego and I saw that you went to university in San Diego and I was touching on that, that my son is actually going to be going down there doing commercial real estate and you were also in that, in that industry. So I thought it was kind of a, a neat tie-in, but, and where do you currently live? Are you back in Italy or? I'm back in Italy. I moved uh, for the first time in Rome when I was 18. Then I moved uh, in the U.S. pretty much when I was like 24. And then I moved, I moved back uh, in, in Italy, in Rome and you know, I was 29, 28, 29. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm in Rome. I love this place. I think uh, there's, again, me, I'm pretty passionate about history. So this, there's a history everywhere you go here. And I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful place, especially if you're running a digital business where you can deal with people from you know, all over the world. I think it's, uh, it's great, especially because many people are, they really wish to come here. So if you tell them, you know, I might do like an event or stuff like that, would you come? They would say, yes, of course, <laughs> I would uh, definitely do come. So you can add me to that list of you if you want to have an event out there. Any I is so so this is what's funny. So just recently I have this huge list of events that I'm gonna pitch myself to speak at, right? And so the team's getting some stuff together. 
And my wife was like, hey, like, I want you to send me that list. I'm like, what do you mean send you the list? Why? And she goes, because I want to highlight where I want you to pitch so I can go with you. So I literally have this list of it's like a thousand events. And my wife has like highlighted all the areas that she wants to go to, right? And so now I'm going to go be pitching these. And, and it's nothing but exotic locations, like, right? You're, and at one point she goes, she didn't highlight Indonesia. And I go, you, you don't want to go to Bali? She goes, did I not highlight that? And I go, no. She goes, I'll highlight it right now. So I've got this like this list. I have a honeydew list of places that I have to speak to that are all outside the U.S. We don't want anything in the U.S. I mean, nothing against the U.S., but it's like all exotic locations. And so I'm, you know, uh, who knows? I might be in your town sometime soon if you guys have an event out there. I, I don't know. My team will be pitching aggressively here over the next few weeks, but that's awesome. So I want to talk about, because once again, your, your background is very colored in the sense that you've, you've done a lot of stuff. And I feel like in a short amount of time, and I, I feel like people say the same thing to me. Like when we, when I get interviewed and people are like, well, like, tell us what you've done. And I'm like, I don't know where to start. And I forget stuff. Like I'll go through the whole thing and they're like, yeah, but I, I thought, don't you teach at UCLA? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do that too. And they're like, how do you forget that? Like, how do you forget, you know, it's like, how do you forget something that you're doing? And I'm like, well, it's because I have a great team, you know, I'm, so let's talk about that. Cause you obviously originally start off by getting a law degree, correct? So I want to kind of hear your transition of like how that happened, right? Like this journey of like, okay, I'm going to go be a, a lawyer and attorney. And then you're like, oh, well, cool. Let me go to San Diego. Hey, look, I got this over here. I, I want to hear that journey. And now obviously we have the, the four weeks, the MBA and you have, you know, you have, you're also working for a startup. Like let's go through that journey a little bit. Cause I know it's going to be a, a fun ride for us. I'll try to uh, cut it short if possible, but uh, <laughs> I missed uh, many, many, many bits. But really, uh, take a little step uh, back. Uh, before I started law school, I really uh, wanted to be a doctor because my mother was a doctor. You know, in Italy, there is a lot of, uh, you know, a big deal about uh, still professions like being a lawyer, being a doctor. I mean, also in Italy right now, it's not uh, it's something which is getting challenged with the digital world. But still, I wanted to be a doctor, a doctor but as I, I didn't manage to get to become like to uh, enter at the, the, as, as a doctor, I uh, really looked at the law school because um, for me it was uh, something that would give me the chance to actually look at uh, more opportunities after graduation. So I couldn't I also could be uh, something different from a lawyer. So the day I started law school, actually, I already knew that I didn't, I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I kept the option open just, you know, to show my parents that one day maybe I would be a lawyer. But in reality, it was just a fiction. I knew that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a lawyer in my life because, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the profession. I, I love the fact that you could, again, could gain a, an interesting mindset. For instance, one, one thing that happens to me all the time is I always uh, thinking about objections, which then I figured it's very good when you, you have to set something because the first thing that is going to happen is that people will object with the, with the things that you said. So yeah. I find it very interesting in terms of mindset, but not as a profession, at least for me. I didn't think I had the, the, the passion to, to actually uh, do that. So as soon as I started, like I was uh, really doing uh, my, my law school at the same time, I was getting very uh, passionate about uh, finance. And really the reason it's, uh, it's I wanted to be independent, pretty much. So I got uh, in things like, uh, you know, I was studying at the university and at the same time I was investing, like trying to invest money on my, on my own. So like looking at stock markets, how do I understand, how, do I, how they work, how can, how can I make some money on the side so that I can be more uh, independent. The funny thing though is as I started to look at the financial markets and stuff, I started to study more and more economics. So I got very into like economics, finance and stuff. So I said to myself, as soon as I finish law school, instead of going for a traditional, like law profession, I'll try to change my career so that I can become like, I can work in the finance field because I was like, probably if I understand how money moves, then I can probably be free in a way, be independent. So that's more or less what I did. The funny thing though is when I was trying to understand how to be free, at the same time, I was studying more. 
and I was studying more like uh, theory, like economics, macroeconomics and stuff like that, because I thought, you know, I studied those things and then I understand all of a sudden how the real world works. And this would be like a realization that after many years, I had to forget many of the things that I've learned actually to really understand how the real world works. And this is going to connect to the four-week MBA concept. So pretty much, uh, really, I started, uh, finished law school. I then went for an internship in the U.S. in Washington. I came back in Italy, then started uh, the apprenticeship. But then on the same side, on, on the other side, I was, I was also doing like an MBA so that I could change the career as fast as possible. And then as soon as I started my MBA in Rome, I finished uh, the MBA in, uh, in San Diego. And in San Diego, I found like, uh, I was lucky to find like a, a job opportunity there. I joined a company, commercial real estate, that was more like uh, analysis and then like more like uh, control and finance of the uh, department of the company. And then while I was actually growing into this career, at the same time, I didn't think it was the right career for me because again, I was going into this loop instead of being more free, I was like spending more time working for others and I was like losing my freedom again. So I came to the realization that I needed to change again, you know, sort of uh, things. And so I pretty much I quit my job, even though I could be in the U.S. for a few years, like easily, because I had a working visa, which today is a, is a luxury. But yeah. I had this working visa, so I just quit. I came back to Italy, and then I get familiar with the, all the concepts of uh, digital marketing. And that's where I started really the for week MBA as a, as a concept, even though the idea came to me when I was doing first the MBA because um, I found that many of the things that I was learning quite uh, interesting. But at the same time, when I started to work like also in the, in the real world, also like when I was working for a commercial real estate company, where also when we were doing analysis, the kind of analysis that we were doing in, in many cases didn't imply the, the sort of complex models that, for instance, we were using at, at school when I was doing, for instance, my emphasis in corporate finance. So I figured many of those things that I've learned, while they may be useful in some narrow spaces, in reality, you know, in the real world, they are not getting used at all. So that was my first realization. Okay, so how do I create the sort of um, business school which I wish I had? And at the same time, I can document this process. So I was doing it more for me. So, okay, how do I grow? And instead of going back to school, which is the mistake that I made many times and get more education just to gain more independence, I took a step back for the first time and I said, okay, instead of gaining, for instance, a PhD, because when I was in San Diego, one of the, the things that I was thinking about was to, for instance, take a PhD in behavior, behavioral economics. So it was one of the options that I was thinking about for, for my future. And then I took a step back. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do the same. I'll try to do it more like on my own. So I'll try to do like my own research and start to do like the whole thing on myself and document everything. And that's more or less how for we can be a sort of started but then it also evolved so i don't know if i jumping uh, too much ahead but things sort of connected so based or based on my positive experiences but also based a lot on my negative experiences and understood the things that I, I wanted to do in life and also the kind of project that i wanted to be in the in the in the business world so that's more or less the process and then if you want to be more like in the before we can be, you know, concept, but more or less is the journey from when, like, I went from law school and then went back, you know, finance and then went back to become, like, more on the digital entrepreneurship. And then as I was kicking off the four week MBA, so we are in 2015, 2000, more or less 16, I realized that actually getting digital business off the ground was way more difficult than <laughs> I thought. So I missed out, like, six months, it's going to kick asses. 
I'm going to, you know, be the, the, I'm going to be millionaire and stuff like that. But in really, you know, after six months into the project, and then after like 12 months, I was making decent money, but uh, nothing like uh, I could uh, do it uh, full time. So I said, okay, wh- what am I missing here? And in reality, I uh, thought about it and uh, I realized that was the, the marketing and sales. Because when I was, uh, you know, working as uh, in, in finance, law and finance, I thought the sales guy on the other side was a BS vendor. So to get out from this mindset, for me to actually understand, okay, actually this is not the case because actually if you are not able to get customers in the first place, actually to understand how to explain the value that you have to actually gain customers, no way that you're going to make it as a, as a business person. So I went back to the market in Italy, I looked uh, for some products, and then one day I found these projects, uh, which was called Worldlift, which is a startup here in Italy, pretty much is, uh, is a, a AI tool for, for, for SEO. I, you know, I joined the team because I was like, okay, this is great, because in this case, I'm going to learn as much as possible, because I'm in charge of business development. So I'm going to learn as much as possible about the things that never clue. Uh, that was why I pushed myself into this. And as I was, you know, working in business development, actually, I feel that, you know, for me as a salesperson to actually do deal, especially more enterprise level, I needed to understand how my client was making money, what was the business model, you know, what, what was in the business. I was like, okay, this is, the, this is the topic I want to invest in my probably next 10 years of my life. And this is how slowly I brought also the four-week MBA to focus on those topics because I was doing it on real life. I was interested, uh, you know, also the theory of it. and then. I was passionate about it, so I was like, I can go on studying this stuff also for, for a decade or so. I have no, no issue with that. And that's how I started to you know, push the, the, the four-week MBA toward uh, that direction. And, you know, because uh, like 2015, 17, 18, the blog didn't take off really because I, I wasn't really focused on the, on the blog. I was focused on uh, bringing traffic from third uh, platforms. Like, for instance, I had, uh, you know, over the years, more than 30,000 students on Udemy, sold many ebooks on, on Amazon. But at the same time, as you can imagine, when the distribution is not yours, actually what happens is that you end up getting just a fraction of uh, what you earn. And yeah. the problem yeah. is you, also your message, your brand message, your identity gets actually diluted in the distribution process because you don't control that. So when I actually realized that, and I actually realized that the blog was for me the channel to gain control over my, my identity, the kind of brand I wanted to build, I went back like 2017, beginning of 2018, I started to push on the blog. And the first realization was when I published a piece about DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine that prioritizes on, uh, on privacy. And it went viral. And I think in a couple of days, it got 100,000 visitors. I'm talking about the blog. So like mm-hmm. social media was like way uh, more viral. So I was like, interesting. So probably the blog really has some sort of potential that I didn't understand yet. So beginning of 2018, I started again, I started to focus the emphasis on business strategy, business model, business model innovation. And that's where I focus my effort. And that's where I am today. And um, really, I started a process where I was like, okay, do I go back to school and do a PhD or just documenting the things that I'm doing? And I start doing this on four-week MBA. So even at the time, it was still called the four-week MBA. Probably it would be more appropriate to having the name something like a real-life PhD or I don't know, like something more in this way. So Yeah, I think it's interesting because when you talk about the how you your transition, like what you did, it's like you're obviously, your big thing is like freedom, right? Like you're like, hey, I want to like not have to like, do the nine to five type deal, right? Like I want to work whatever hours I want, which really fits well into the digital life, right? I mean, I, 
I'm here at my office here in Sacramento, but I can literally go anywhere and do a podcast and do this. And, you know, ha- you know, so it's, I do enjoy that freedom. Like my wife is a nurse. And so she works like seven days on give or take, and she has seven days off. So I, for those seven days, I can go anywhere. I go to the beach, I can go here and I can still go and produce content as long as I have the internet, right? Which is a scary thing if the internet went down. I don't know what would happen, but it's one of those things. I think it's, it's just curious in the fact that you were able to turn this into a, a business, right? Because you were looking at this from like, hey, you're getting an MBA and once again, things are going well, but you're looking at this going, okay, but there's, there's a lot more to this, right? I mean, I think one of the things that we, that we run into in the educational system, because I've taught in the educational system or in academia, is the problem is, is that, you know, a lot of these instructors, they just haven't done a lot of this stuff, right? There's a lot of things that have changed. And so I think when you have a blog and when you're going through it and somebody like yourself that is naturally curious, right? You're like, okay, I don't understand this. So I'm just going to go and deep dive into this and read 20 books and like go and become like the person that, you know, if I need to know sales, I got this great thing, but if I don't know sales then I need to go learn sales. And so you just go and do that. Right. And I think these days it, it warrants that because there's so many, there's great courses and there's a lot of ways to really accelerate your learning. Right. I mean, 15, 20 years ago on the internet, we, you know, we I was like, I don't know how people did it. Like, how did you start a business? I, I'm like confusing me that there wasn't these resources and now there's like phenomenal resources. And so I think that's awesome. So the four week MBA really for you is it's your test area, right? Where you go and you talk about the models and things that you figured out and that you've learned. And I think there's, that's like real world stuff, right? I think there's a huge value in that because it's not a, an instructor that's been around for 30 years. And this is, you know, in 79, the last time I ran a campaign, you know, and it's like, Oh, there's a lot's happened in the last 31 years. Like, you know, there's, and so I, I love that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the site, obviously, and the courses that you have, but talk to us a little bit about that journey of like, okay, so you started, let's say it was 2016, 17, started writing content. And then obviously you have courses, like go into that a little bit. Cause I really want people to understand like the value of what you bring through the blog and through your courses. Yep, absolutely. I think for me, there was an important realization after a few years I was in the digital marketing space. When I started back in 2015, again, I didn't know anything about this world, but coming from a different industry, I was like, okay, how do, what do I do now if I want to start a digital? The most logical conclusion to me, which I would figure after a few years of negative experiences was not the right thing to do. I was, okay, I'll start pushing my content. I just care about developing content and then I'll push it uh, through a third party platform, which could be, as I said, can be Amazon, can be Udemy, whatever. And I was using those platforms as main providers of my content. But I didn't, I wasn't really curating my own distribution again. And it took me two years to understand that was not the right, uh, right thing to do because, again, even though initially, you know, I can call my blog a startup, or you can, I look at it more like as a company that I'm trying to bootstrap as much as possible. But really, when I talk to many startups, one of the things I say, for instance, they, they will say things like, I'm not going to use a channel like, for instance, let's say SEO, because I think it's uh, right now I'm going to need to get customers. And so I'm going to start doing like paid acquisition and stuff like that. While this is fast, on the other side, if you don't develop your own, you know, really branded entity, which, is, which means that you need to build a customer base and you also change the value that you provide. I think that's the best way. But also you need to start building your distribution right away. So going back 2016, 2018, I would call them really a huge failure for me in terms of uh, my digital marketing attempts. Probably like even actually 2015, probably 2017. So almost like two, three years of complete like failures one after the other. I mean, still there are many others. I'm not saying that now it's everything, everything works out. But really, I think the failure was... Uh, 
number one, I wasn't uh, relying on my own distribution. Number two, the, the whole pricing thing was completely messed up because I didn't control it. So it was really a matter of creating control over my own business. So look at the second phase, more like 2018 going, where I said, okay, now I decided this is the topic I want to go over. I decided I want to be the most important, like I want to be one of the most, uh, the, the blogs with the highest authority in, in this uh, sort of niche. So what do I do now? So I said, okay, I need to really look at this as I was doing, as I, as I was studying for a sort of a PhD. So again, I document everything I'm doing and I start putting all this content, which I'm developing on the blog and I give it away for free and I don't close anything. I mean, everything is free and I try to push as much as possible because I'm no one here. So if I were to compete like with big brands and also start uh, trying to push too much monetization, it wouldn't work, I think, at the beginning. So I really started to develop uh, develop as much content for myself. I mean, it's not the only strategy that works. I mean, there are many other strategies, like, for instance, there are people who gain um, a lot of authority. For instance, if we talk about influencing marketing, in some cases, it may be more um, effective if you start writing uh, content for other publications right? For instance, you start writing on Forbes, Business Insider, you can gain a lot of, uh, you know, authority. I decided I, I didn't want to do that because it was a mistake that uh, I already had fallen before. I decided, you know what, instead of trying to pitch those publications uh, and start writing for, I write for myself and push all the content that, that I have and as much as possible on original research and uh, put it on my blog so that I can become the source of that information. And my reasoning went in this way because I started to analyze also more from an SEO standpoint, big players like, you know, you look at uh, Investopedia, you look at Business Insider, if I'm thinking about MySpace, but really, I'm a really niche player, probably a micro niche player compared to them. So I'm not comparing myself to them, but I was looking at them. I was like, okay, how do I provide value compared to those publications? I really, my answer was the way I provide value is I go as much as possible into content development, which means that in my case, I invest as much as possible on the product, product because I'm a publisher. So uh, my product needs to be like the, you know, the best that I can. And I will invest as much as possible on research because if I look at uh, a publisher like, for instance, Investopedia, which is one of the, the largest uh, in, the, in, the, in the business space, I mean, you look at the articles they have, they are great. I mean, those are great articles, but at the same time, as uh, they are a company who scaled, at the same time, they cannot invest the amount that they do invest in content because otherwise they will go bankrupt uh, tomorrow. Instead, they can afford actually to push as much as possible on research because that's what gives, gives me value. So I use uh, like a, a, an opposite strategy compared like to a big publisher, so like an established brand. Because uh, I do something which is not scalable at this point, which is I try to, for instance, even spend like weeks on a, on a single piece of content or like, you know, developing like reports or things that in-depth research, because I know it's not scalable, but it's also something that makes me unique. And it's also something that I'm very passionate about and I can do well and people will be interested about. So that's more or less the kind of um, realization I had, uh, which brought me here and so going forward like 2018 I started to push push and push and uh, you know I'm still pushing today and uh, that's how you know the, the blog gained uh, traction and uh, again I think right now I'm trying to even uh, as we're doing today I'm trying to tell a bit more my story so that you can understand you know how I, I got here but at the same time even going doubling down on research and in-depth in depth content so instead of deleting my content I'm trying to look even more on this approach, even though, again, it's not that scalable, considering that I don't have uh, that much time on my side, but, um, you know, I try 
to work like two jobs at this time to make sure that I can provide as much value as possible. So that's more or less the, the process. That's awesome. So, and I think once again, the cool part about it is that you're doing very original content because it's your own stuff, right? Like there's not a, there's not anybody that's going to be able to, I mean, people can go look something up, but I think your site now is at an authoritative spot where Google realizes that everything you put out is your information, your research, your, right? And there's a lot of value to that because it's not like somebody wrote an article and somebody else went and stole the article and rewrote it and all that kind of stuff. Like you have, you get to a point once you get enough eyeballs on it that people know when you come out with something that it's going to be something that is original content. And I know, cause obviously we're a content producer as well, right? And we have other people that I work with that are competitors and I've also had on my podcast that are also friends. And that's what they do is they put out a big, usually a big original piece of content and then people backlink to it naturally because it's like a good, you know, it's about whatever it is, right? Like Andy Crestedino came out with one just recently and he's like, I do this once a, a year and I get, I'll get 200 backlinks or 500 backlinks to it because people know it's some great content. We interviewed whatever, 5,000 marketers or 1,000 or 500, whatever. And there's some good information there and people wait for that every year. And so, you know, there's some, some huge value in that because I think that's what it comes down to is data, right? It comes down to an experimentation because not everything that we read works will work for my business, right? And maybe there's some stuff that doesn't work for your business, but the fact that you're talking about that and you were very blunt and saying, hey, in the first two years, like, it's kind of a failure, which is awesome too. Like, right. And so it's, it's difficult because people go, well, if it's a failure, that's terrible. I'm like, no, not really. You just figured out what's not working, right? Like you look at, there's a thousand things you can do. You just got to knock down that list and do all the stuff that's stupid and you, you know, do it. And then you're like, okay, now I know what works, right? That's how we get to this point and not give up halfway through. Right. So talk about the journey of, okay, so obviously you got the four weeks MBA and then you also have a full-time job as well. So how was that? Was that something that you just, cause you kind of had to supplement it a little bit, or is it because you had an extra, you know, extra two hours per day and you're like, why would I sleep if I can just, you know, have a job and run this blog as well? Or like kind of give us backstory on that. Again, I went back to the, let's say, the job market to actually develop the sort of skills that I was missing. So more like on the sales uh, and, uh, and the marketing side, I uh, started to focus like um, really the 16, 17 up to 2018. I was pretty much focused on the business development side of this high tech startup. And I was, you know, sort of uh, leaving the, the blog, the blog aside. I was working on it, but you know, as I didn't see it uh, take off, I, I thought like probably it was time wasted. Uh, so I was just uh, using it as a way to sell, uh, you know, the, the, the educational materials that I had. And then on the other side, again, I, I said, okay, if I don't start uh, pushing right now seriously on this, uh, I cannot call it a real experiment because one thing that happens, especially in startup world, we like to, to say, we like to uh, call ourselves as people that experiment, you know, that we are people that test a lot of things, but there are tests that you can do uh, cheaply and uh, you can see if they work and then double down, you know, this digital approach that we know and that everyone uses. And then there are those things that you know that you want, you want them to work out no matter what. So that one, you cannot call it an experiment. You, can, you need to call it something that you want to do. And it doesn't matter if it's going to work or not, if you're going to have an error or not, you, need to, you will push it through until it's going to work. And I think that's what a really sort of entrepreneurship is about. So I think it's important to have a, that connects also to, to media of uh, entrepreneurship. I think it's very important to have a models and frameworks for us to be able, for instance, to test cheaply, quickly, and make sure that, uh, especially at tactical level, to make sure that we're able to test, uh, you know, very quickly things that we want to do, especially long term. But then at the same time, we need to be able to, to set boundaries and say, you know, even if this thing is not going to work first time, second time, third time, I'm going to push more and more. It doesn't matter if, uh, if it's going to fail many times. 
So I think that's what uh, set then apart uh, a project uh, that works uh, from a project that doesn't work. Because, uh, I mean, there are very few projects that take off right away. And if we look at the exceptions in the, in the real business world, like we look at companies like Google, I mean, it gained the traction right away and uh, it was a, an incredible tool. But even if you look at, uh, for instance, an example like Google in the early web, before the company actually would figure a viable business model, which would scale up, actually took a few years. So even in a circumstance like, like Google, where they had the hybrid growth, and so they really stumbled upon product, what we call a product market fit, in reality, it took like a few years to actually tweak the model and make it work so that it would become sort of multi-billion dollar company that we know. So even in cases that seems uh, that seem like exception, in reality, there is a lot of uh, failures and stuff going on. And um, again, in many cases, the, the process very, is, very, is very painful. So I wish uh, we could make failure uh, less painful, but in reality, I think it's... Uh, it's very painful for all of us. It really sucks. But I think uh, what we can do again, it's uh, really being sure uh, where we're going uh, long term and then really having a frameworks for the short term. So how we can experiment very quickly on the short term things and tactics that we want to achieve, but then keeping our vision clear for the long term. So sort of a counterbalance. So very long term vision and then a very short term. So experimentation and quick experimentation, but on those things which are tactical are not tied to really they want to do this or not. I mean, if you don't want to grow this business, just leave it alone right now. Don't do it because it is not, it's not going to work. No, and, it's, and there's no, I mean, that's the thing is that you always got to put in work. That's what I think people don't realize. It's like the Googles of the world or whoever's successful. It's like they, you know, they were failures too, right? I mean, we all started somewhere. It's and you're not, once again, the 10 things you go do, nine of them are going to fail, if not 10 of them. And you just got to understand it's either you're built for that or you're not right? Because it's not easy. Because I, I always tell people, like being an entrepreneur, like if you want to be an entrepreneur, like just know that it's going to be hard. If not, everybody would do it. We would all just go make millions and retire after two years of working, right? The, the idea is, is you have to go through that failure. So I do have a curious question for you because of your background and you know, you've done a lot of SEO stuff. When you create content for your website, do you create content for like, hey, you're going to experiment something, just something you want to do because it's something you want to check out? Or do you actually look at it and go, there's keywords that you actually say, I want to do an experiment because of these keywords. Is it more like planned content? I'm sure probably in the beginning, it was like you were just doing something to do it. And then you learned SEO and you're like, okay, I want to create content more with like intent. So how do you currently put that together now, like content wise on the website? Right. There is a strategy that I like to use almost in anything which fits me well. I try to, to have a, you know, um, sort of approach where I look at two opposite things. So I use SEO uh, a lot uh, when it comes to understanding where there is interest. So uh, there are like a, uh, you know, try to adapt, for instance, uh, content based on the, on the volume and the interest that there is. But then on the other side, there is also try to keep it uh, so that when I feel that something is very interesting, it doesn't matter if there is like search volume or not, I'll, I'll push it through because I think it's interesting. So right now there may be no volume at all. There are some topics that I know I need to cover because I feel it's the right thing to do. And so I'll just cover them. I know I will not get a return from them, at least like not in one, two, or probably I'm going to start getting traction in three years, let's say, but uh, start pushing them out because I feel it's, it's uh, the right thing to do. And then once, for instance, the market is going to pick up on some topics, I'm going to just find myself positioned for that. So again, just to give you an idea, when I was covering uh, DuckDuckGo back in 2016, 17, the company was already born way, way before then, at like 2009. But in any case, uh, wasn't that popular, or at least it had been popular in some circumstances, especially during the privacy that had been for. And let's go like 2017, the like long story. 
And there was really no thought process or like strategy behind it. I was simply excited about it, so much excited that I covered it. And then uh, it uh, first gained traction initially, but then it gained traction also after, you know, a couple of years when people were again interested into, into this. So I think uh, two approaches for me, like one, yes, use SEO. It's an incredible source of uh, data. I think SEO for me is not just the optimization side. So what do you do on the content? It's really the, the last mile. So if you just look at the, the last mile, it's, uh, it's not that relevant because you're just trying to optimize for what you've done. I think the most interesting side is really the data that we get from the search engines that we have. So we can understand really what to produce, which is going to have a certain ROI. And then on the other side, don't look at data at all. Just go for, you're interested about it. You feel like this thing is going to explode. In a few years, even if it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter, but you still have to push it through because if it happens, then you're going to have a, you know, a big time return. Otherwise, what is going to happen if you push too much just with SEO, you're just going to become a commodity in terms of content. So that's my point of view. I try to keep those two things in mind when I develop a new, new content. And it also helps too, because you've got a good community as well. So when you, if you're pushing out something that maybe isn't big on the SEO side of things, you at least have a community that's going to set some eyeballs on it and talk about it and stuff like that. So you've, you've got it to a point now, I think in the beginning, it's hard to say, hey, I want to come out with this piece of content just because I want to do it because you got to pay the bills too, right? And so if like, it's like you got to figure out like, how do, I, how do I make this? So I'm putting out some great original content, but then also I got to kind of think about some SEO, like what is going to be out of these 10 articles I do this month, like five of them need to bring in some kind of revenue. So how do I generate some revenue from that? Right. And so some of it's a long-term play of like, Hey, I think this is going to take off maybe the next year or two, or you disrupt something or you have a new term you're using or whatever that is. Right. And you're like, I can jump on the top of the search engines, hoping that something will, you know, this will be controversial or somebody will talk about it and you never know. Right. The things going viral, which is, you know, every time I get a client that emails me, he's like, I want to go viral. I'm like, I can't even talk to you right now. Like there's, I'm not, I'm not going to give you some equation on how to go viral. Cause it's just, you know, you just don't know. It's like, you know, I mean, there's maybe little things, there's obviously luck involved and right time, right place and kind you know, but it's, you know, I love it when people are like, I talked to this one company and they gave, they're going to give me the equation to go viral. And I said, no, please, please don't do that. Don't, don't go pay for the viral equation. You know, I mean, it's like, it's hard work and staying constant and keep pushing and you just never know what might take off. So yeah, that was interesting. I know that the article that you'd written, like I said, the one a little while ago with Google and I know that it had gotten some good traction. I mean, do you use Google? I mean, what search engines are your search engines look at if you're going to be looking at content and like putting that, that kind of stuff together? I honestly love uh, Google. I think it's break down everything that Google does because I think it's one of the most interesting. And not because, I mean, of course, when I covered the, the Google, for instance, business model, one of the things that they tell me is, yeah, this will never apply to my company. But the point is not if it will apply to your company, but whether you understand the logic of a platform that actually is controlling your distribution. So the reason why I say, okay, I talk about Google, Amazon, or other platforms is just because Right now, those are the gatekeepers that keep you from gaining customers and, you know, connecting with your audience. So if you don't understand the logic, the business logic that is behind those platforms, so how would you become a better, you know, uh, build a better a small business? So that's the whole premise of why I'm so much obsessed, for instance, with, uh, with Google or Amazon, or the sort of uh, huge, uh, huge companies, but with a different perspective. So I'm not trying to tell you that uh, necessarily like how to be like uh, Jeff Bezos or like how to be like, you know, uh, Steve Jobs. I'm just telling you, those are the business logics behind those companies. You better understand them. If you can understand them, you can surf this wave and, you know, gain traction for your business. 
otherwise you're going to have hard times just like i did when i started my my digital business so that's your premise so i love google i like to use it a lot especially because I, by using it i can understand the kind of algorithm and updates that the company is going through because when the more you observe uh, observe the, the search results the more you can you, you can understand how the company is, is evolving and on the other side i also use like uh, DuckDuckGo when i want to get out more like from the filter bubble especially when i'm doing a a little bit more of a research. I think, of course, Google is uh, way more, uh, still way more advanced in terms of search results. And I think if people use DuckDuckGo, it's first of all because they want to, uh, they want privacy, of course, but they want to identify with uh, something which is different from a tool that uh, the, the, the mass of people are using. So they want to feel different. So there is also an appeal, I think, in the brand, which is trying to you know, communicate. We are not the, the status quo. We are different from you know, the, the, the mainstream. And I think many people, even many technical people that tell me like engineers probably are so once so those people that use a lot of DuckDuckGo, they might tell me, you know, I use it because of privacy. Yes, you do. But then you use it also because you want to feel like different from, from the masses. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, we, want, we, we all want to feel uh, unique. And uh, then also, again, just because um, sometimes uh, the fact that uh, DuckDuckGo might give uh, results which are completely different from Google, it's interesting because you can find uh, more and more stuff information that otherwise you wouldn't find. On, on Google. So if I'm doing a little bit like research, I try to use more like uh, DuckDuckGo, but otherwise my default mode uh, is usually Google. Uh, again, because it, it uh, enable, enables me also to, to study more the platform, understand what's going on, kind of changes that they're doing. It's interesting sometimes because you can you can actually see live while you're doing a research, the kind uh, they're, they're doing, for instance, uh, an algorithm update on certain queries, and you can see it live. You can see how they're experimenting. It was actually an interesting experiment that ran a few weeks ago, which was like uh, uh, the duplication, which they pretty much took off from the organic results uh, uh, if you were inside the feature snippet, which is uh, you know the answer box, the, the answer box that you on top of the results. And uh, it was interesting because I could see that live, and I could interact with some people from Google and say, "Look, you've done this update." And you actually rolled it out on on desktop, even though on desktop it doesn't make any sense. Because, for instance, there was a feature snippet variation, which looks like a knowledge panel. So it's on the left side of a search if you're, if you're looking at the screen. And actually, it takes, you, uh, it takes away traffic, but it's not, uh, uh, it doesn't make sense because people on desktop are not behaving like mobile, but Google was treating, treating them as the same thing. So I said, look, I mean, this doesn't make sense. And indeed, I mean, also they got the feedback also from other people from the community and they ruled back this feature just on, on this specific uh, feature snippet variation. So it was interesting to see, you know, things are happening live, you can contribute and make sure, you know, that also going back if they're doing experiments that are wrong, I think, so. Yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of nice you get that, that real world feedback from and you can kind of chip in and tell them, hey, I like this or don't like this. I also think it was interesting you were talking about Google and Amazon and stuff. And I have clients that will come to me and like if they want to write a book or something and like, hey, how should we do this? Like when we write our book, you know, should we put it on Amazon? Should we do, you know, I think that's always the big question because it's like they're the big one, right? So you're like, well, you know, the initial reaction is of course, because then you're going to get, you know, if you get so many reviews and you get this and then all of a sudden this is great. And then they're like, man, this is super awesome. And you put your book up there for $20 and then, you know, each book is worth $2 to you. Not really, but I mean, it's like this, this small, you know, and you're like, 
this is awesome and I probably wouldn't get this traction. And at what point, like, I mean, cause you, you did that, right? I mean, you're like, man, this is awesome. You did, you damn me, you did all this stuff. I'm building a community and they're like, man, I'm getting pennies on the dollar compared to like with the time I'm putting in and you have no control over pricing, right? They come in and say, Hey, I can charge a dollar, $2, $9, $100. And you're like, I'm not really in control of anything. What would you recommend for somebody that once again is going to create a course or do something like that? Is it, hey, start with the Amazon, starts with the Udemy's to get some traction, get the word out there and then, you know, build your website, then you build your own courses and then it's more internal or what would you recommend? Because obviously you've done, you've done both this time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a real case uh, scenario. Pretty much, I think the main problem is on Amazon, of course, you also get a good uh, fraction of uh, the sales that you make. There's one problem. If you publish on Amazon, it's not like you're going to uh, get this, uh, you know, um, li like that. I mean, you still have to understand that uh, we can call it uh, Amazon SEO. I mean, there are many people that do that. And so even there, you need to understand that if you want to be better place and make more your stuff more visible. So my point is either that one is not your main distribution or you have uh, the ability to negotiate with Amazon the terms of your pricing or your distributions and stuff like that. So you are something with someone which is, for instance, really influent and you say something like, you know what, Amazon, you want to have my book on the platform, I'll give it to you. But if you allow me to first do the pricing that I want, and for instance, second, uh, you enable me to have a certain kind of distribution. I don't even know if that's possible. But already, if you are able to negotiate on the pricing, which is usually what uh, publishers like big publishers do, when they have like uh, this uh, better negotiating position or otherwise if you really want to have amazon as a main distribution channel you better understand that either you start publishing a lot which means that you start getting into the logic of a platform that is not doesn't have any interest in, in selling your stuff but in actually showing variety and convenience which is what amazon mission is about yeah or actually you either uh, publish a lot of stuff or you become very good at Amazon SEO or actually get into the mindset of, okay, I'm going to push this thing on Amazon, but I don't have any expectation. So those are the, the three things which I'm not very fun <laughs> about all those things. So my, really my suggestion is either go with, uh, with an established uh, publisher, you might, take, you, know, you might take a few pitches and stuff like that, or go back and uh, again, work on uh, your personal brand if you're trying to build like personal branding business, you know, uh, use like influencer marketing or otherwise just like I did, go back and invest. Developing content become a sort of authority in a space. It's going to take time. It's not a process that becomes like that. It happens like that, but you're going to uh, strengthen your negotiating position. And so you're going to be in a position, actually go back to a platform and Amazon and say, look, I'll publish this book with you just at this condition. So Unless you have the negotiating power to do that, again, you are just uh, uh, another guy on a, on a third-party platform that will uh, have its uh, you know, content commoditized. There are exceptions. Of course, you can become a bestseller on Amazon. There have been many people that have done that. But I think those are more uh, exceptions than, than the rule. I mean, like probably like more than 99.9% .9 of people back and then there is that small percentage of people that make a lot of money make a lot of noise and then you're like okay i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna be one of those but is really an, an exception. This is a thing. So it's funny. I have a course that I'm coming out with here soon. It's called how to be an influencer.com. But the premise of it is exactly kind of what we talk about here is like influencers come to me all the time because I do a lot of speaking events about the influencer stuff. And UCLA, I have a personal branding, how to be an influencer course. 
the funny part about it is, is that everybody, every influencer comes to me and says, oh my God, the algorithm and Instagram and the algorithm here and the algorithm this. And I'm like, listen, the problem is this. It's no different than, you know, Google is no different than Amazon, no different than Instagram. Like you don't own those websites, right? And what they care about it is going to be different than what you care about. So if you're worried about the algorithm today on Instagram, it's only going to get worse, right? It's, it's not going to get better for you. Like they're not really, I'm not saying they don't care about you but they care about what they care about, right? Like what's going to bring in money. And so it really comes down to that. And then what we train, we talk about in the course is literally how to build your own brand. And it really comes down to building your own website. Like you've talked about, like originally you were doing on third party and you're like, God, my distribution is literally through a third party that could shut down or do whatever they want. Like I have no control over that. So when you built your website, and what I tell the, you know, through the course is like, Hey, build your website. And then you have Instagram and all these other things and you drive the traffic there. So if Instagram goes down, it sucks, but you don't have your everything on there. I mean, I know influencers that literally that is their website. Like their Instagram is their profile. That's everything. They have, that's their media kit, their everything. And then if Instagram decides to change a policy or decides to cut back on your content and now you're down to engagement at 50%, they're going to tell you, yeah, you can get that back up. You're going to have to pay for that, right? So it's this whole situation where I'm trying to educate and the same, you're kind of saying the same thing is like, hey, I'm not saying don't be there, but just understand what their motives are and if that, right? And understand like how you're going to be able to use it to your advantage. Like you should be collecting email addresses and you should have your own money paid. You should have your own money website. That should be where you're going and people should be buying stuff. And you use these and leverage them the way you want to leverage them, but don't put all your eggs in that basket. Because once again, you never know. The algorithm at, at tomorrow on Amazon could totally change. And if you don't know SEO for Amazon, which people are like, I didn't even know that was a thing, then guess what? You're going to lose rankings. And there's nothing you can do about that. Like literally, there's nothing you can do except now you got to go try to figure it out. You got to hire somebody. You got to try to get your book back up to where you need it to be to be able to make your, you know, your small percentage on whatever that is. So I don't know. I just think that's interesting because once again, it's, you know, and I love the fact that you look at those types of business models, right? I mean, that's one of your big things is obviously with the finance background and, and an attorney and all the other fun stuff. And you're looking at this thing going, okay, like, let's look at like, what do we got going here? I mean, your bigger thing, which is most people don't do is like, let's look at the big fish. Let's look at what these guys are doing. And so at least we understand it. We're not going to be able to copy them or maybe on a smaller scale you can, but let's take a look at this. Like, let's really evaluate what's going on there because that, you know, most people don't, know how to do that, don't understand that, but that's where they can follow your blog and go, hey, I don't need to go and understand all this. Like as long as you can read, right? You know, so you can go and take a look at what you got and some of the cool pictures and all the fun stuff. You can get a better idea of like what we're going up against or what we're working with, right? I mean, it's, it's that kind of deal. And so um, anyways, I think that's awesome. I think that's cool. I mean, I, like I said, I've been a fan of the blog for a long time and I've, I've seen you come up over the last few years and good things are happening for you. Um, and so I'm going to, we're, I mean, we're almost at the end of this thing. This is what happens when you have, start having some fun, you know, it's like one hour. It's like this, and then all of a sudden it's, we blink and, and it's done. I was excited because once again, we got to hear your backstory. Cause like I said, I was intrigued about all the different things that you've done in such a short amount of time. We didn't even get into, to talk about like you Demi, any of the other courses and stuff that you have. But if somebody wants to reach out to you and find out more about your courses, give us some information on the social channels, on the website, all the fun stuff. Well, really, the best place is just uh, to go on the blog, like uh, forweekmba, forweekmba.com. And uh, there you're going to find all the, all the research that I've done over the years. And then, of course, you can uh, subscribe to the newsletter because I try to uh, push out. I'm very prolific, so people may complain that I probably send out too many newsletters. But the problem is I have a lot of stuff that I want to share and I cannot stop myself doing that. So I'll push it out. I try to, I try to pace myself out to be more like strategic um, in some ways, but then I want to share like uh, all the things that I'm uh, studying and 
doing. So really, before we can be, just go on the blog and you're going to find all the information you need. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that sounds good. Well, you guys, once again, we'll also have that in the show notes as well. And once again, you guys also in regards to the podcast, we've, we've talked about this before, but if you guys are listening to the podcast and you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it and also tell your friends about it. And also the thing is we, as I've also touched on, we have the how to be an influencer course. So it's how to be an influencer.com is the course we're coming out with. If the course gods are listening, it should be coming out here in the next few weeks. If, if, if everything comes together as planned, super excited about that. Go take a look at that. Go and, and register for that. You can either go to my website or go to the how to be an influencer.com website. So Gennaro, hey man, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, man. This was super awesome. I know it's a little later where you're at right now on the other side of the world, but once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And when we go live, we'll go ahead and let you know. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you.